This is the Upper Room with Joe Kelly here on 88.5 FM WVOF in Fairfield, Connecticut here on a beautiful Monday night. And we've been really looking forward to having our next guest on. Um, he has just released an incredible uh, book, Prince and the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions, 1983 and 1984. He's a writer, director, producer, and he put all this hard work into this book and we want to welcome a longtime friend, Mr. Dwayne Tudor. How are you doing, Dwayne? I'm doing great, Joe. I'm so excited to be here. This is fantastic. Yeah, I know. I mean, you've been working on this for a long, long time. It's, uh, you know, how, how many pages does it clock in on, on the official version? Uh, the official version is, I think it's 550-something, and some of that is citations and thanks uh, and things like that, But but uh, and an index. But... The, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's about twice as big as your normal book. You're going to get it's uh, close to 180,000 words, and these kind of books generally have about 120,000. So it's it's a uh, it's a bit bigger than usual. But uh, but it's filled with there, there's stuff I, I I wanted to put in more, and the publisher said, "Look, you've given us 200,000 words. You got to cut it back a little bit, pal." So, <laughs> right. and, uh, had to do a little editing, but I. I I started looking through it to see what to take out, and I thought, well, you know what? The things that don't further the stories about Prince and the the, uh, the songs themselves, they kind of some of them fell to the wayside. So it's like some of the um, stories about things that were outside that range. I thought, well, you know what? They may not fit the book, and and maybe um, there are things I can talk about at other times, or there are things that these people write about in their books when they start writing them. Because I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of books coming out from these people. Um, because they all have great stories to tell. I mean, literally, the people I, I was able to talk to for this book are, you know, members of the Revolution, members of the Time, members of the Family, members of Apollonia 6, uh, Vanity 6, um, that kind of stuff. You just, all the engineers, most all the engineers that were involved during that era, um, singers, Jill Jones, Susanna Melvoin, uh, people like that, that you just go, wow, these people were there during this thing. And so what I wanted to do was make a book that gave them the opportunity to tell their stories. And I kind of just thought, well, you know, they'll let them, I'll use as many of the quotes as possible, and I will get out of the way. And yeah, I, you did You did a great way of arranging everything. And, uh, you know, for any Prince fan, this is just, it's going to be on the on the bookcase shelf for, for as one of the books that is going to be there for a long, long time. Um, you know, I'm reading this. I'm, I thought I knew a lot about Prince and the Minneapolis Sound, but I was like, I didn't know that. And you just so many surprises, and and we'll, we'll talk about some of the stuff throughout uh, our, our chat. But how long did you start thinking? How far back before you started writing this book, and uh, you know this big undertaking? Well, this book came from I uh, used to work for a magazine called Uptown Magazine. Oh yeah, which is a great magazine. Yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, it was a magazine out of uh, Sweden, and. Uh, it was about Prince and the Minneapolis music scene, and I worked for that with Pierre Nelson, uh, who was the author of um, the DMSR, and we did The Vault and things like that. And the Vault, for those who don't know, The Vault is a book that is kind of a comprehensive look at um, what Prince did in his career. Um, daily things, daily, uh, you know, not as much daily, but it, it goes over what he did as much as possible. With that... Um, we started talking about how cool it would be to do a book about studio sessions. And this was 20, 22, 23, 24 years ago. And it, we realized, you know, this might be a little tougher to do. And so I started nibbling at it and nibbling at it and realizing I can't do the whole career, but I could do the first 
a two-year period, and I started looking at it, and I thought, wow, January 1st, 1983 to December 31st, 1984 is a full story. And so I started drafting it out, and I realized there's over 220 sessions during that time and all kinds of, like, almost 100 times on stage mm-hmm. and all those things. And I thought, well, that's a great story. It's the story of a guy who went from being a cult favorite to being the biggest artist in the world and at the end of it wanted to get rid of that, was tired of it, and, and didn't want to be Mr. Purple Rain. And I thought, that's a pretty compelling story. And as I was doing that, I realized, you know, there's other periods of his career, obviously I knew this, but there's other periods of his career that would be just as interesting. And so if this does well, I'd like to continue and do 1985, 1986, and other times like that. But this came from a conversation I had over two decades ago, and I just started nibbling at it. And about five years ago, my wife said, are you going to write this book? <laughs> and I thought, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I am. And, and, and so I, I wrote it, finished it about a, It was physically done a month before Prince passed. Okay. And, yeah. and it was done in March of 2016, and I started shopping around at the time for a publisher. Mm-hmm. And then he passed. And I, just, I, I, I still don't like to say he died. Um, right. Tough to say it. Sometimes it's easier to say he passed. Um, and I found a publisher. But before that, I, I actually went to a lot of people I interviewed, and I thought, because I've interviewed 40 to 50 people um, for this book and future books um, beyond this, and I asked a lot of them, what do you think? Do you think I should um, publish this? Because I, I didn't want to seem opportunistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, after he passed, there was a lot of times we all kind of had to sit back and think, okay, what do we do now? You know, what furthers his legacy? Um, without seeming like you're taking advantage of this. And most of them came to me and said, you know what, you've been doing this for two decades. You really should come out with this. It tells a more intimate story than is generally not, than out, than is told. And so I thought, okay. And over that year, I started going back to some of these people and talking to them and asking them, you know, to follow up things or just to make sure that the information was correct. And uh, and for specifics, I mean, uh, when the Purple Rain CD came out, the uh, deluxe CD, Jill Jones was not happy with the way they they talked about her, right, right, um, or or didn't talk about her really. And I completely understand that because, you know, she had a lot to do with some of these songs, and so I saw she was upset about this, and I reached out to her because we've known each other for years, and and I said, let's go through every song one more time, and we went through and and found some new stuff that I didn't know about and added that. Um, or Susanna Melvoin and I would, would go back and forth and, and she would answer as many questions as possible. Or I'd call Susan Rogers, who's one of the engineers, and, and just follow up questions, you know, 20, 30 years after the fact. And they were all really helpful about um, making sure that, that we're telling the truth on this. And so, um, and, and there were stories that contradicted. There were people that said one thing and another person said another thing. Well, I kind of addressed that too because. You know, there's going to be times that people looking back after a few decades don't have the same memories. And and uh, Prince was also a rascal when he'd, he'd tell people one thing and, you know, know that it was something else or just kind of trying to point you in a different direction because he didn't want you looking at, you know, he's a magician. Mm-hmm. Look at my left hand and then he's doing something with his right hand. You know, that's sort of how he worked. And um, so I used as many of his quotes as possible, but I also understood that there were times that he was trying to throw everybody off track. No, that's true. and and that was that was sort of his way too, um, and and you know kind of put one person against another in a in a way that that is a uh, to to make it so that um, nobody kind of knew where they stood completely with him, and and you know and I think that that part of it is is that uh, 
he was an artist and would change his mind. And what he said on Monday might not necessarily be the, the same way he felt on Tuesday. And, and that's a tricky one, you know, when you're dealing with somebody like this. Uh, Dwayne Tudal is with us, the author of Prince in the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions, 1983 and 1984. And we're just enjoying our talk with you. And let's get our listeners the best way they can uh, pick up this book, whether the hard copy or digital, and um, hit us up with some sites and all that information. You can find it on Amazon, uh, Amazon.com. Uh, it is on there. You can get the ebook from there. And the uh, physical book should be available in the next few days. Uh, there was a shipment issue, and they weren't able to get the shipment for last week for the um, for the launch. But uh, they've told me that they should be getting it this week, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's I'm looking forward to. You know, you work on something for 20 years, you can't wait till everybody has it in their hand. But the people that have downloaded the um, the ebook have been very happy with it. You can also, if you're curious, you can read the first chapter and the preface by going to my site, which is DwayneTudal.com, which is D-U-A-N-E. T-U-D-A-H-L dot com and uh, click on the links and you can download the PDF of the first chapter and the uh, like I said, the preface. Um, the book also has uh, a forward from Questlove from The Roots. That's right, yeah. Uh, who, who, who had read the book uh, early on and was just a complete champion of the mm-hmm. book and, and that was exciting. Um, and uh, he wanted to write the forward and I wanted him to write the forward. So that worked out perfectly, and I can't say enough fantastic things about him because he's, you know, he's a huge scholar when it comes to this stuff, and that's I was just lucky, you know. So, and I wanted to make sure I thanked you because I have wanted to. I've been a fan of your show for now. I've told you this privately, but I want to make sure I, I say this publicly. I've been a fan of your show for a while, and you have first off, you're credited in the back of the book because of the research you've done. You've yeah, done, on that. and, and I, don't, I don't know if you knew that, but you're, you're, the stuff you do and the people you talk to and the people you find and the way they open up to you is phenomenal. And it's obvious that, first off, you're a fan, and second off, that people respect what you do because they come to you, and I came to you. I, I, you know, I, I've been reaching out to you with questions for a long time, and then to come to you and say, uh, you know, the book is coming out, and you're like, well, you want to do the show? And I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> So absolutely. So, yeah, I want to make sure that certain things get mentioned, and your show is definitely one of them. And I, I've been any chance I get to talk about your show, I, I do that. So yeah, thanks yeah. for thanks for all those great words, Wayne. So sure, sure. Yeah, and and we're uh, I'm just thinking about the book. Uh, kind of where you started with was the uh, 1999 tour was uh, ongoing there. The book starts uh, during the 1999 tour, and, and the 1999 album had been out for a little bit. And the time the, on the tour was the time, uh, Vanity Six and Prince. Yeah, that actually was. You know, I brought it up because that was my my first time I saw Prince was uh, beginning at '83 uh, at nice. in Hartford. Sure. A, a nice snowstorm that the show did go on, but uh, just the the battles that you go into detail that that. I, you know, with the time and all the personalities and, and money and everything was just, just fascinating. We, we, you know, as Prince fans, a lot of us know it, but people are reading the book. You, you go into depth and people are, people are really honest with you. I, that was the fun thing is people really kind of opened up to me about a lot of things that were going on. And, and the, the story of the time really is a story that didn't get told as much as, as I, I wanted to see. And so when I was writing the book, I wanted to make sure that the story of Morris Day and the time and, and the, 
things they were going through with Prince and the competition that Prince had created. I mean, Prince created the time in a sense, and mm-hmm. uh, you have seven people who were, you know, pretty amazing on stage, and they gave him a run for his money. And and the the ironic thing is that it was an incestuous relationship because Prince had created them, their music, and and wrote most of it. And so you look at what they had done, what they did is is take the music that he provided them, and they found a way to 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 perform beyond expectations. And so there was a bit of back and forth between them, taken off the bill in certain cities, and um, told not to do certain dances. I think the most astute comment, but at the same time, they all still respected him. I mean, it's not like there was any right. lack of respect. Yeah. One of the most astute comments in the book, to me, was when Monty Moyer said, and he didn't say it to me directly, um, but he said that when Prince got on the stage, the stage lifted a foot. You know, it was one foot higher just because of what he did. Wow. And I think that's really true when you look at it. You think every time Prince walked on stage, there was this magic that he brought to it. And as good as Morris Day and the Time are, which they are amazing, Prince just there's something about what he can do or dark could do and that, that that's you know that's there's something phenomenal about that and it's hard to deny that I and mean, it really is actually it's impossible to deny that this is a guy that you know stretched across genres uh he was you know um somebody that nobody else nobody else could be like that and there's still people that say oh this is the next prince but there is no next prince. No. <laughs> i got an email from uh, somebody pushing an artist says uh this week kind of along the lines of that and i you know politely you know answer yeah. the email but i have the same same mindset that you do yeah it's like no there's there's no next prince it, it, you'll be people that are amazing and i don't doubt that you know over the next hundred years or whatever there's gonna be people that are just blow me away mm-hmm. but prince was prince and uh right now it's a it's an odd time for the community because we're all in different stages of of mourning Right. And, you know, and, and some people are in denial and some people we're all working toward acceptance. But it's, it, you know, we're all bargaining right now and thinking, how can we, you know, we we just all wish there's something that we could do to to um, to make it so that he didn't pass. And, and there's I don't know how to explain it, but that we're all trying to cope with what happened and, and the fact that we don't have a leader with this now. And, and we are no longer looking at what is coming because it was always the promise of the next album, next tour, next movie. We're now having to go back and reflect on what he did and, and really look at it and, and kind of put it in context of his life. And I think I'm hoping what this book does is takes the events of his life and shows you how his songs were his diary. And in a way that I don't think we understood. The, the fun thing to me is finding out that Prince gave us the clues about himself right in the open. Right, right there for all of us to see, and none of us realized that his his songs. And he says this: "My songs are, I'm, all my life is in my records." Mm-hmm. And I didn't quite get that until I started putting them in order and in context. And I was like, "Oh, now he's happy. Oh, now he's sad. Now he's confused. Now he's in love." And you you realize, oh, there's a story he's telling beyond what the songs are and what he's revealing about himself through his music. And that, to me, was, was what this does is sort of brings you back to his music because since he passed, it's been a tough time, and we all look through I know I look through his music, and I, I, I can't listen to his music and not think 
in terms of him not being here. Right, right. And I, I, you know, I mean, I'm assuming you do the same thing, where you'll hear lyrics and you go, oh, yeah, that's kind of, you know, you know, he didn't mean to say that, but now he's talking about death in the song. I can't help but think about death. And I'm hoping that what this does is take you back to a time when he was alive and happy and vital and young and doing things that mattered and uh, that you can listen to the music for the first time again with once you understand how this song fit into his life. Well, Dwayne Tudall is with us here on WBOF in the Upper Room with Joe Kelly, and he has just uh, released uh, an amazing book, Prince in the Purple Rain Area Studio Sessions, uh, going into incredible detail on practically the day-to-day existence that Prince led from uh, latter part, uh, well, actually 1983 and 1984, finishes up right at end of 1984. And one of the key things, uh, you got a hold of all the uh, recording logs from uh, Sunset Sound and, and other studios, yes. which, how did you pull that off? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, was working, when I was doing work for Uptown, we were, I, I, I was doing a lot of the L.A. research. I live in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I talked to the people at Sunset Sound, and I interviewed the manager and the owner, and one of them said, do you want to see the work orders? I was like, yeah, that'd be great. And he started showing them to me. And uh, this was, you know, this years ago. And he said, um, I, I don't know if I asked or if he said, but it came up about me making a copy of these things. And I said, yeah, I'd love that. And then I was making the copies. I kept thinking somebody's going to walk in the room saying, hey, who are you, kid? You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so as I'm leaving there, I'm like going, I'm nervous thinking they're going to walk out in the, in the parking lot and say, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you can't leave with those uh-huh. oh, and 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 uh they didn't and i've had a great relationship with them the whole time i've come back to them and asked them for additional information they've been open they've done additional interviews they've let me take pictures inside the studios they've been great guys i mean honestly sunset sound first off has history of you know many of the beatles played there the rolling stones played there led zeppelin played there the doors recorded there all these bands at very famous sessions there Prince is the session that is important to me. Not the other ones aren't, but I just, you know, Prince is my focus. But the fact that they opened it up and said, yeah, sure, and they gave me the information when Prince recorded there and Sheila recorded there and he did Madhouse there and he did, um, you know, a lot of different things. And when I was looking through the daily logs, I mean, literally it would say what day he was there and what time he was doing things. So you can say, oh, he did When Doves Cry on, he started that on March 1st, 1984, at 7 p.m. or whatever it was. I, I don't have it in front of me, but, you know, when you start seeing, oh, that's dinner time or whatever, you just go, wow, you you now can not only tell the day, because it used to be like, okay, it was, the, it was during the month of March he did this. Now I can not only pinpoint the day, but oftentimes the day of time of day that he was doing some of this stuff. And there's something humanizing about that, that it's no longer just this big myth. This is the, this is the story, and, and you start to see this is when he did the song for Sheena Easton. This is when he did the song for uh, Sheila E. or whatever songs, the Bangles songs, a uh, uh, song for Stevie Nicks. You start to see the dates of these things and, and to hear the stories of the engineer talking about it. And people don't understand the engineers are there for 18 hours a day sometimes with Prince. They sit in a room with no windows with this guy. Mm-hmm. And so they have stories about him. Then they're sort of overlooked in a lot of the, the Prince books because I, I, I think people just never thought about the engineers, but the engineers really literally spent most of the day with this guy 
um, and band members would come and go, and singers would come and go, but the engineer sat with him. They would be there a half an hour before he got there and leave a half an hour after he left. So, yeah, I think they have a lot to say about what was involved with the recordings of the songs. And, and so I got the work orders from Sunset Sound. I contacted Warner Brothers. They gave me access to their vault of information, uh, so I knew what dates the Warner Brothers got songs. I went to the Library of Congress. I went to the local musicians' unions, so I knew when they brought in strings in, string instruments or uh, other instruments like that. I went to the Minneapolis Union, uh, so I understood when they recorded certain things in Minneapolis. I tried to get all those things, people's diaries, people's journals, um, work orders from uh, people billing for time with him, trying to put together this giant puzzle. And um, I think it mostly is there. You know, there's always going to be things that I wasn't there, so I can't say what happened. But for the most part, I think, you know, that... And here's the thing I need to stress. It's not just a book of he did this on the 14th and then he did this on the 15th. You've you've read it. It's a a story about him Mm -hmm. that happens to be told through his work orders and the days he was recording things, as opposed to, you know, a cold list of songs at this date. This is why he was doing the songs and with who he was doing the songs and what they meant to people and, and who was involved with them and, and who sang and what was, what was recorded and what wasn't released. So there's outtakes and there's songs that never, you know, that have never seen the light of day that are talk about, things like that. That's, you know, Vanity Six's second album, I talk about the recording of a lot of the tracks for that that never made it out. Uh, now, you know, all this, all this information that, that you describe in the book and crafting of the songs, I mean, you really show that this guy was a tireless worker, rarely took days off, flying from Minneapolis to Los Angeles. And with, with all this, did any song stand out, uh, how he created it that you discovered that where you're like, wow, that just yes. blew your mind? I, 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 every time, I, it's so funny, I, I kept thinking and new ones kept coming up, but I kept thinking how amazing this was. Um, She's Always in My Hair was one that blew me away because... It's a great song. It's a B-side, and it was one of these songs that would have been a hit for anybody else, but he said, yeah, I'm just going to release it on a B-side. But it's a song that he did that he just did in the studio in one day. You know, uh, The Beautiful Ones, he did the song in one day. You just start looking at that. This is what happens when you, I think Bobby Z said it, is this is what you get when you put Prince in a studio for a day. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a, a, a Beautiful Ones or something like that. But the other thing was there were songs like Computer Blue that he would work on for weeks. And that became sort of uh, like a um, this big epic thing. And then uh, you know, it, it eventually got released on the, the Purporting Deluxe, but it got edited down so much. And I'm, like like you and like a lot of people who are Prince fans, I'm a completist. I want to hear every note. Right, right. I want to hear, and, and we'll, we'll, a bunch of us will sit around going, yeah, they released uh, that song, but there's a 20 second spot in there that they didn't, that it got edited out. That's right. great stuff, you know. Right. <laughs> and we'll be very particular about that. And it's fun to hear when their stuff got, did get cut out and, and things like that. But the amount of work he was doing in the fall of 83 on some of the Purple Rain tracks that he recorded live, he overdubbed a lot of those things that he recorded at the um, August 3rd, 83 show because he wanted it his way. Mm-hmm. And he could do that. He's, you know, it's, it's his band. He can do whatever he wants. And he's meticulous about what he wants. Um, and so when you start seeing that the beginning, the entire month of September of 83, he almost didn't take a day off. Right, right, exactly. And, and that's kind of interesting. And then finding out that there's a song that, you know, him recording the, um, the last part of uh, Darling Nikki. I go into detail about that, 
Um, it was actually a different track altogether, and he combined them with that. Or um, where he got his influences from. You can hear some of the songs, you know, some parts of him when you listen to um, Gary Newman or um, a, song, a band called Eben Ozen, um, and you can hear little references that he would pull from things because he was he was being influenced and he you know he was a sponge and would would you you could basically say a joke to him or a, uh whatever it was and there's a good chance that if he enjoyed it he would find a way to put that in a song you know he's recording albums for in the first part of 84 he recorded albums for the last part last two few these two songs from purple rain songs for uh the ice cream castle album Songs for Apollonia's six album, songs for Sheila E.'s album, uh, songs for the ba- song for the Bangles, uh, an album for the family, and it's all within the first couple, you know, first six seven months of a year. Right. That's just who does that? Nobody, nobody does that. <laughs> that's that's crazy. You know, most bands record their nine songs for the album and maybe a B side of something, and then that's it. And they, you know, but this is the other thing is people don't quite understand is. This guy would go into the studio by himself and and come out with this. I mean, to, the amount of, of work that went into this is phenomenal. This guy, this guy would spend so much time crafting something and make it right. It just it, it, There's nobody else out there that does this stuff. And so I thought, somebody asked me why I wrote this book. And I thought to myself, when you find this stuff out, how can you not write this book? You know, there's just... It is, there's so many great things to find out about this. And I think he's inspirational to people, any artist or any musician who wants to understand how to do this really needs to look into what this guy did because nobody did the stuff that he did before, and, and still nobody's doing it. You, I love Bruce Springsteen, or I love whoever else, but they always had a producer, and they had a band, and they had all this stuff. Prince didn't. He would come in, write it, produce it, sing it, record it, play all the instruments and it would still be as good as anything anybody else is doing and that's just there's 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 everybody else and there's prince and that's just the way music is to me like like it's mentioned in your book um someone said he he wasn't spending friday night hanging out with the fellas he he was working and creating rehearsing i mean the tour rehearsals with the revolution and the time back to back is is just incredible it was where he lived the studio is where he lived basically right. i mean for the most part it was his social because he would bring women in that he wanted to date mm-hmm. he would bring in people that he liked friends were the people who he communicated with were the people that he were in his bands that these are the things that that he had he's not the kind of guy i think it was jill jones that said he's not the kind of guy you're going to take to a barbecue <laughs> he's, right. you know he's the kind of guy that you know this is his life is music and his guitar and everything else is an extension of him and when you see him playing guitar on the rock and roll hall of fame or you know doing something you just it's like a part of him in a way that most other musicians can't have but it's because he worked so damn hard Mm -hmm. and everybody around him worked hard because of him and across the board everybody i talked to respected how much he worked and other uh, you, you look at other people in the studio they may be there for a few weeks prince was there all year and even when he was on tour he would find places to record whether it's a sound check or rehearsal or a studio on the road that's just what he did because that's i think music was relaxing to him 
at the same time as it was, you know, something he was, it was commercial for him. But I think it was also something that he was able to, that was his oasis. And that's why he has so much music out there. And that's why, you know, the range of what he did and the range of his, his music and the range of his fans. Right. You know, look at the cross-section of fans are, are as, as wide as, as the cross-section of his music. And, yeah, and that's, that's another thing that is amazing to me is the community of people that, that love him and and follow him and accept what he brought. It, it just There's nobody else out like that. And Dwayne Tudal is with us here on WVOF. We're really enjoying talking with him on The Upper Room. And uh, you can go to DwayneTudal.com, D-U-A-N-E-T-U-D-A-H-L.com, order it through Amazon. And uh, have you picked a spot out for your uh, your book signing? I know you're out in the L.A. area, but I'm getting, I have, I'm working on that right now. Uh, I do want to do a book signing. Uh, probably, hopefully, we're going to do a book tour. Um, maybe the East Coast and a few other cities. Uh, I'll be up in Minneapolis in April. Um, I'd like to do a book signing up there. Um, talking to a couple other authors about maybe even doing uh, a, a few book signings where several authors at the same time. Oh, that'd be. Which I think would be kind. Yeah. Of, yeah, I think that'd be kind of fun to have. You know, so that way you kind of have three or four authors that you really like. You can come here, all of them talk and purchase whatever books you want and get the signatures right there. You know, I think that would be kind of a fun thing to do. Um, I have not figured out where, probably in January, I'll do a, a book signing out here in Los Angeles. Um, Christmas was sort of, this is my first book, so I don't know how all this stuff works, but I looked into it in Christmas. Most of the places were booked up. Okay. So I thought, okay, well, I'll do it in January and, and get that going. I'm also probably going to do some signed books that I'll sell um, from uh, my website. Okay. Um, I haven't worked out the details on that yet, but it'll probably be a limited number of, of uh, books I'll do with that. Um, and um, just I, I also have a Facebook group called Prince, uh, Prince the Complete Studio Session Book Series. Um, and that's, please, if you are curious about what's going on with this, sign up to that, reach out to me. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, uh, and say hi, you know, Please ask me questions. I'm open to questions all the time. And like I said, if this book does well and people like it and want a second book, I'm happy to do that because I seriously love writing these books. These are this is uh, the people I've met, the things I've gotten to find out, the places I've gone uh, are are just phenomenal. I make documentaries for a living, and so this to me was like making a documentary into a book. That's what it was for me. Yeah, we're gonna hold you to that. Not just one book after this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna have to do it for us, because <laughs> because. Well, what's I mean, your favorite era? What's your favorite era? Uh, you know, I, I have different. I have great things about each stuff. I mean, sure. I'm partial to the revolution, the MPG, sure. the different configurations. I mean, that era of 2004 musicology. But I mean, my first interview ever was Andre Simone, so we go back have a great connection. Andre's, the best. Andre's fantastic. Yeah, back and he's out your way, so. Yes, he is. I, we've we've had lunch before. He's a great guy. He is, is, I've known his wife for years. Right. I, I I adore both of them. They're great people. Yeah. Let Let me ask you this um, question because since you know you, you know you have some loose plans to eventually go through other eras and in depth like this on on the Prince and the Purple Rain studio sessions, how difficult do you think it would be toward the later years in the Paisley Park era to really go into uh, Very difficult. Yeah. Um, well, wh- that why? doesn't mean it's impossible. Uh, you know, uh, I think one of the things that I've enjoyed about Prince is that he's shown that the impossible is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that what I'm hoping 
happens is that this book does do something that the family, the estate, Warner Brothers, whoever else is involved, notice, and that they feel like, wait a second, this honors him, this extends his legacy, and this is something that we should find a way to work with me on. And whether it's I'm working with them, they're working with me, we're working together, I don't know what it would be. Um, I, the way I see it right now, I'm, in a, I'm standing in a room that's, that's pitch black, and I don't know what doors are going to open when the book comes out. Right. And I'm hoping that some of them in a large room with no light. Um, I'm looking forward to finding out what happens with this. And I would like to go to Warner Brothers. I'd like to go to the, to the estate. I'd like to go to the family and say, I would like to do more of these books. And I would love to do – I'd love to get everybody's help on this because there are doors I don't know what's beyond them. Mm-hmm. And if I can be doing this more with Warner Brothers, I can help out with some of their uh, re-releases. And you know, I would love to do something like that. Or I would love to work on um, – documentaries or, or whatever it is, I don't know where that's going to go, but working hand-in-hand with the estate or with Warner Brothers or both would be fantastic because they've got information they may not know what to do with. And I think that the kind of this book and that kind of stuff would be a great avenue to get out the word of what this guy did and the scope of what this guy did. This is 500 pages on two years of his life. Right. He had a 40-year career, you know, so that's that's that, that's a lot of books, <laughs> and, <laughs> a lot of books. And I don't think, oh. you know, from following him, he never took an extended vacation. I know mainstream oh. media would always say, oh, here's his comeback, but, you know, we, we, we knew that wasn't true. No, exactly. He was a guy that recorded all the time, and, and you know, yeah, the later years he didn't come out with as many albums as he was – for years he was coming out with an album a year and then he didn't over the past few years but that didn't mean he wasn't working this is a guy that that is his life was around music and so not only do you have all the songs he did but then you've got rehearsals and sound checks and everything like that this is a guy that i think was always looking forward to what he was going to release and what he was going to do and he, i think he said what's your favorite that people say what's your favorite song the next one well, yeah, because he always, he always knew that what was waiting for him had the potential to be the most amazing thing he'd ever done, and he grew as an artist. And I think that's the saddest thing to most of us is the, the potential that was there. Imagine what he would have been like as an elder statesman. Yeah, right. um, yeah. and, and we're missing that because he passed, and, and that's the sad thing to me. And, and the toughest thing for me when I did the book was having to go through it and take out the parts that said Prince is and make it Prince was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that broke my heart because, right. you know, it, I didn't change anybody's quote because that's what they said at that moment. And I thought that's not my job to change somebody's quote. But I had to go back and manually change every time I talked about Prince is the most dynamic, blah, 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 to Prince was the most dynamic. And that, that hurt. It hurt my soul. I mean, really literally hurt me because... It was confirmation to me that that this isn't some goof and this isn't some play that he's doing or this isn't a Prince is Dead type thing that he did before. No, this is Prince really is, is not coming back. And that that hurts, you know. So um, that kind of stuff. And, and I, I, it's it was a tough year for yeah. <laughs> a lot of us, you know. And, coming up and on about, a year, more than a year and a half and still really tough yeah yeah i mean but but working on the book yeah that year just kind of cleaning things up was just 
very tough because mm-hmm. you know it, it's very different. And they, you know the, the old saying that you're not going to find out the, the whole truth about somebody unless it's told anonymously or posthumously. Um, that's sort of sort of true in some ways, mm-hmm. you know. And um, but I think that the the nice thing is people were very open before he passed, and they were. Um, not only open, they were honest, and they wanted the story out. They wanted the, you know, and it's it's a, a a good story. It's not it's not critical of him, other than the fact that, you know, there were times that he may have um, been so focused on his work that he ignored other things. But outside of that, I don't think it's. I wanted to write a book that he'd read right. and appreciate, and and you know, I wanted. I really wanted him to. Uh, the, the, one of the saddest things to me, besides losing him, which. I, obviously goes without saying is, is painful but that he can't read this book and I, I really wanted him to read this book because there's things in here that I don't I don't think he understands the effect he has on people in the arena he sees us cheering and stuff like this but I don't think he understands how intimate his music is to so many of us right yeah and the personal relationship we have with his music and him through his music I don't think I don't know if he ever grasped that, and I, that that's one sad thing because you know he can be playing it and, and he's a master of, of controlling the crowd, but he also related to every person in the arena on an individual basis, and it wasn't like just because we were all cheering didn't mean that it wasn't affecting each one of us personally, you know. And I think that I don't know whether he ever understood that, and I'm I'm hoping that somehow he understands that now. When was the uh, last time you saw him perform? Uh Wow. Um, I saw him I'm in Los Angeles. I was lucky. I got okay. to see him in a lot of different stuff. Probably the last time I saw him perform was when he did the um, uh, Jimmy Kimmel show. Um, I was there for that, and that oh, was okay. fun. Yeah. Um, and I didn't get to see the, the final tour, which I read. This is the one tour I wanted to see. My, one of my favorite shows was I saw him here in Los Angeles uh, on May 13th, 2011, I think it was, at the Forum. And... It was uh, Janelle Monet uh, opened for him, right. and uh, Sheila was on. Sheila was on stage, and then Stevie Wonder played with him. Oh, and wow. was, yeah. He's, he's, it was Stevie Wonder's birthday. It's Friday the thirteenth. On top of that, and all of a sudden you're hearing this riff going, and I don't know what the, you know we're going. This is a cool riff. This is a heavy, thick riff. And all of a sudden you see Stevie Wonder rising out of the stage, and you realize it's the riff for Superstition. Oh wow! And <laughs> even just saying it, I get goosebumps because like it was so. Yeah. And just you, you just and and it was like it was like a I was about I maybe it's my imagination it was like a two and a half or three hour concert it seemed like, and it was just so phenomenal. Um, and I wasn't too far back, and it was just a great great time. But I, I used to see him when he played the Glam Slam out here. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and and he would play uh, small shows, and I would be in front of the stage, or I went to see him in Vegas. I saw him in Cork, uh, Ireland, uh, on a nude tour. Um, yeah. I, I was a big fan. I didn't. I didn't get to see him until Love Sexy. I mean, you got to see him in 1999 tour. I right. was in the, I, I was never in a city where I could afford to see him until Love Sexy, right. and uh, um, saw him at the Forum Forum Sports Arena. I don't remember where it was, but they uh, the Love Sexy tour, and that was a phenomenal show. The guy just did so many. He, he was so good at not just the music, but the performance and the settings and the stage and his fashion. And his his concept of art, it just you know, I relate him to David Bowie a lot, and the fact that they both passed you know in the months of each other is a double double whammy. 
you know, because both of them understood art and and music in a way that that embraced the style of it. And and you can hear a song of his, and you can picture how he would do the video or how he'd tell a story in your head already, you know, just by hearing his certain songs. So it's uh, I, it's funny. I I talk to people, and if I mention them, I like a Prince fan, and they go, "Yeah, I like Prince," and they don't really know him. I have it's it's like I can't connect to them almost. It's like I I, I can't relate to you completely. Right. But if but if I meet somebody and they they say, "Yeah, they're a Prince fan," and we start talking, you instantly have a seventy five percent connection right there, and you're just working on the last twenty five percent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you'll start talking about lyrics with each other or tours because you know this stuff and and you're probably the kind of guy uh what i know about you is you'll see a documentary and you'll see a picture of prince and you're they're talking about the love sexy tour and they're showing a picture of the purple rain tour and you're going wait a second here that's the wrong picture that's the wrong era and i think that i'm in that group of people that want it right right i think that's also where the book came from is i wanted to make sure i got as much of this right when it came to yeah. A, 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 a thorough examination of when and where and how. Oh, yeah. You, you've definitely pulled it together. You have all the references, which definitely, I mean, I, I could never pull that off. You you just have done an amazing job. Uh, Dwayne Tudal, Prince in the Purple Rain era studio sessions, 1983 and 1984, two years out of the life of uh, Prince. Uh, you can go to DwayneTudal.com, also Amazon.com. And I've got a, you know, we're going to wrap up pretty soon, but I, I wanted to ask you uh, recent events, you know, the, the news of the music that Prince left behind, videos that were moved to uh, our, your area in California, and, and also the big news that a lot of, not, I shouldn't say a lot of the stuff, but some of the, the stuff, audio and video, had uh, a lot of damage to it. What, what do you take of this whole well, situation? I- I had heard that before. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd heard from engineers in the past that, okay, it was it was not kept as well as it could, and there were water leaks and things like that. And, yeah, you want to have this – is, this is historic stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like somebody, imagine somebody said, yeah, there was four or five albums by the Beatles that they recorded, but they kind of got ruined by water or something like that. You'd be furious. Right. You'd be like, wait, what? They had a bunch of albums that they recorded – that we'll never hear? Well, yeah, that, that could be, that's the equivalent of this. I have, I, for the first day when I heard that the music was taken out of Paisley Park, I was upset. Mm-hmm. Like, because I had a knee-jerk reaction going, what? Outrageous. You know, that's where it belongs. It's, that's its home. And then I started thinking about it, and I realized Iron Mountain, the place they took it to, has a pretty stellar reputation of being able to do this. And this music needs to be archived properly. Right. by people that do this. And Paisley Park is no longer an active studio. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's a tour, and it's a, you know, I suggest anybody go up there. It is a tour now you take. There's not an engineer that sits there working on this stuff. So when you have this, um, this stuff that's just sitting there getting older every day, you really, you're wasting what's there. It really needs to be digitized. It really needs to be cleaned up. It, it, they're not going to get rid of the tapes. The tapes will always be there. And they'll, they'll probably move the tapes back there. But they have to archive this stuff in a way that, that preserves it because there is stuff that really needs to be released or held on to for historical reference. You know, and if, they, if the fans...
family plans on making money off of this, and I hope they do, they're going to have to find a way to do this properly. There's equipment that was used for the original recordings that is no longer around. That's tough to find. Iron Mountain would be a place that would, would have that sort of thing. Find it, use the best engineers, and make it uh, make a digital copy of it in a way that's safe. You know, as much I think the reason why people get upset about the Paisley Park thing is because it's a um, it's close to our heart. And not, not say that Paisley Park is near our heart. It, it's it's nostalgia, and we feel like oh, it should be there. Well, it's it's not. If it's there, it might not last. And if there's any problem there, it's gone. Don't you want to have backups of this? Yeah. Don't yeah. you want to have a way of, of preserving this? I know I would. And I guarantee you that they had to have some sort of agreement to take this out of there because you don't just pull up to a truck to the Paisley Park with a truck saying, okay, load it up. <laughs> you know, and I've tried that. Uh-huh. It doesn't work. <laughs> you have to have some sort of agreement with the family, and, and they seem to be fighting and not – checking with everybody and and unfortunately it it you know there's a big controversy about this but to me it seems to make the most sense to have it somewhere that is guarded that it can be properly um archived and properly digitized so that it can be um used these are assets and if the family the family doesn't have prince touring anymore they're going to need to have some sort of revenue source and this is it and and here's the other thing. It's not just it's not just music. It's video. There's tons of video in. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole room of video in the in the in Paisley Park. Um, it's not just that. It's photographs probably as well. It's also um, rehearsals. This man had tapes. Every day of rehearsal would be three or four, or five or six or seven cassette tapes of rehearsals. Now there's boxes of that stuff. Um, I would be very happy if they if the family said, you know what. While we're trying to figure this out, we're going to release some rehearsals. I mean, I would buy them. Nice idea, yeah. Yeah, you know, if they said, we're going to have a subscription thing for 12 months, and you can subscribe for the entire year, and every month you get one or two 90-minute rehearsals mm-hmm. that are just him jamming with a band on different eras, I'd be like, take my money. Right, take right. my money. And, and, and I think people would enjoy that. So I don't think the family quite understands that that's a, uh, a viable source of income right now. And I'm hoping they, I'm hoping they figure that out, because there are ways that they could be doing stuff while they're waiting for negotiations to work out with Warner Brothers or whoever else it is. You know, and personally, I, I kind of hope that they all go back to Warner Brothers. Um, I would like to see it all under one house. Okay. You know, I know there's people that don't always like that, right. but it seems to me Warner Brothers is never going to give up their catalog. So maybe you should go toward them and and find a way so they could start releasing box sets of all his career, you know, because he had some vital stuff after he left Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. You know, musicology, things like that. I would love to see those kind of songs on a Greatest Hits album. They should be, you know, a career retrospective, and you can't do that easily unless it's at one place. And the family should always have a say in this, not just hand it off, you know, blindly, but there's got to be a way to combine everything he's done and make it into one big package so that it can be it can be properly um, archived and properly re-released with new foot, new songs and new whatever. You know, that's just, I, it, it's driving me batty because if you don't do it soon, it's going to be forgotten. 
Michael Jackson, the, the albums are coming out with his stuff. People are not really that interested because you know that's you know, as you were talking, that thought was going through my mind. I wasn't going to say his name, but yeah, exactly like yeah. that. Yeah, I like I like MJ. I I grew up with him. That was something I grew up. With. I grew up with the Jackson Five listening to him. Right. But he's being forgotten, and it's only been like nine years. Right. And not that he's being forgotten, but he's being overlooked and put aside as a different era. If Prince wants to continue, if the people want Prince to be, continue to be vital, they're going to have to find a way to make the next generation understand how important he was. And I'm hoping my book and books like this do help people extend the, uh, the legacy of somebody because Prince was important, and what he did was important. And he crossed boundaries, and he opened doors for people that would never have had doors open for them before. Um, and I think he deserves to be you know, important for years to come. But if, unless they find a way to, to take it, I don't say take advantage, unless they find a way to um, do something with his archive properly. Right. You know, and I was actually, I like the Pearl Rain Deluxe CD, mm -hmm. but what was surprising to me was including Roadhouse Garden on there because that should really have been in a Roadhouse Garden album, mm -hmm. you know, with other stuff that he was planning because he had talked about making a Roadhouse Garden album. So it was odd to me, even though it was recorded during that period, to have that. It was, to me, showed me that they didn't quite understand that there's a larger picture with pieces that could fit. You know, we'd all like to get the rest of the Dream Factory album or Crystal Ball album, um, you know, that he decided not to come out with. There's also the pieces of his projects that never made it out. And as a fan... I want to complete that album. I would love to be able to say, oh, these are the eight songs that should have been on that album. I will add them to my collection, so now I have the bigger thing. Or, or when he comes out with a sign of Times Deluxe, have the Crystal Ball CD in there and have the uh, um, uh, Dream Factory stuff and have the Camille and, and all that stuff in there. And you just hope that they have the foresight and the understanding of his career to do that. Unfortunately, the people that are putting these things together at Warner Brothers probably weren't around when Prince was there, and they don't necessarily understand who Jill Jones is and why she was vital to what he did, or who you know each one of these people were. And that's that's the thing we're fighting right now is trying to figure out how to make sure that the people and the voices of the people that were there are told, and and that their stories uh, help people understand what went on uh, during that time. And again, that's why, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book is because I thought that some of these people were being over, overlooked and their stories are being overlooked. And, and some great stories. You just, you, there's, there's things in the book that I still look at and laugh out loud yeah. about. You know, I, I, you know, we're friends with all the guys from the time and I was reading your quotes from Jellybean and I could just, I could just see his facial expressions <laughs> as I'm reading the words. I said, you got it perfectly. <laughs> Jellybean, uh, and the cool thing is, I had I did not do the interview with Jellybean. Uh, that was done for Uptown Magazine, and uh, Pierre Nelson and Alan Freed, who was the person that did the interview, um, who were both friends of mine, said, "Do you want the actual tape?" And I said, "Yeah." Right, right. And so I, then I reached out to Jellybean and I said, "I'm doing this book, and I would love to use your quotes from this." And he didn't question. He said, "Absolutely," and yeah. and signed off. And cause I want to make sure that anybody who I was given access to things that they didn't know me. I reached out to them. I wanted to make sure I talked to every, re-talked to every person I interviewed, and and told them 
the book is coming out in a year. I want to get your permission. And one or two of the people said, you know what? Looking back, Prince just passed. I don't want to. I don't want to be involved. Oh, okay. And I honored that. They, right. I thought, you know what? That's fair. They 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 were like this. Is my, some people said this is my friend, and it's just too soon for me to make a comment about it. Even if I'd interviewed him years ago, they still said, you know, it's too soon. And I thought, absolutely. You know, we've lost an icon. You've lost a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, it's my job to honor that. So I would make sure that I honored any person that said, you know, no. And it wasn't many. It was one or two that that said that. But I thought, you know what? But the people that the cool thing was the people that I reached out to, like Jelly Bean, and and things like that, said absolutely. And so I'm I'm looking forward to getting them the copy of the book because I, I agree. Jelly Bean's voice is very distinct. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and having him tell some of the stories yeah. of the time is 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 right. to be a delight, you know, because you can you can hear him saying, "Let me tell you," and you just there's something about right. him that you just you can't help but like, yeah. And, and you know, I'll tell you quickly. The last time we we were it was a f- few months ago here in Connecticut. The time played at the casino, and we hung out with uh, the guys up at the hotel suite after the show, and wow. it was the first time i've ever heard morris day talk in his voice without being in the so-called character i mean he we were talking this is we were talking about john blackwell before he passed and you know obviously you know with prince and everything and morris i was listening to morris and i was thinking wow i've never heard him talk like in in his actual (laughs) speaking voice (laughs) (laughs) that's great yeah i did not I didn't make an interview Morris. I really wanted to. I, I just didn't. Yeah, either have I. I've never had a chance. I, I, I think he's – I've seen him interview, and I used plenty of his quotes from other things, but uh, I just have not had a chance. I'm hoping sometime in the future – again, I'm hoping that what happens with this book is that there's a number of people that may not have wanted to talk because they didn't know me. You know, who's this, who's this guy? He was you know, some fan who's writing a book. And I hope that they read this and they go, okay, now I understand where he's going with this. And, and there's an honest uh, view to this right. um, and that they want to talk to me for future things. I would love to do an updated version of this book with, you know, because I'm assuming over the next year there's going to be new stuff that comes out. And oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. I would love to eventually, you know, a couple of years down the road, do a deluxe version of this book that has, you know, extra quotes, extra dates, extra information, corrections, because I'll tell you, I know there's probably some mistakes. I'm not going to say this is, you know, the Ten Commandments. Um, there's there's bound to be. I know there's, I can look at it and there's, I, I can see there's one or two things where I, I had a typo that was a mistake, and I was like, ooh, got to fix that. But you know what? It's a 550-page book. Yeah. There's going to be, you know, yeah. uh, there's going to be a, a couple window dressings that are not quite, right. you know, that are very minor. For the most part, it's it's backed by the dates from the the work orders from Warner Brothers from personal journals and all that other stuff. So it's kind of you know, and then the quotes. I, I think that the cool thing to me was hearing people say, "Oh no, we recorded that then." I remember that because we were going on tour right after this, and and you're going, "Whoa, really? That's different than I expected." And so I ended up moving dates that were like the latter was earlier than I thought, and Temptation was later than I thought, and those uh, that kind of stuff is 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 fun to find out when you can start placing things properly uh, with confidence. Yeah, and, and it's a definitely incredible read, and you must have it for, you know, the completest Prince fan and, and those that just love Prince, whether you were seeing every tour or just love Purple Rain, this is the book to get. Dwayne Tudall, Prince and the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions, 1983 and 1984, and you can go to com. D-U-A-N-E, T-U-D-A-H-L dot com. 
order it through Amazon. You can read the uh, the uh, online version of it, or you can get a hard copy sent to you. And Dwayne, thank thanks so much for coming by. You know, you, you're a great guest, amazing to talk with, and talking with you all these years. And uh, no, this is great. I've, yeah. I've been I've been wanting to talk to you about this stuff, not just this, but for years. And, and again, to tell you, I not only am a fan of the music, but I'm a fan of yours. I think that you, people like you bring something to, I don't know we're not doing an interview about you, but seriously, what you do is you find these people and you have them tell their stories in a way that's honest and open, and I used information from you, some of your stories, and I remember for a long time been asking you, when are you posting that? When are you I know. That? That's how I got to know you, is by, by nudging you, saying, <laughs> is that going to be online? I you go, know, you're we, you know? Uh, no, I'm not comparing anything to Paisley Park and Prince's stuff, but I started to listen to some of the interviews that I did, and you know there is some de- degradation and stuff like that. I gotta take exactly. care of it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, is, and people need to understand that that this stuff is going to start to dissolve. Right. Deep as tape, and and if it starts to dissolve, it never comes back. And so, and also memories fade. Yeah. All this right. stuff needs to be documented, and and I'm I'm I can't wait till some of these people start writing books. I can't wait till some of the members of the revolution write books. I can't wait till people in the MPG write books. I want this to happen. And the, I, I love the revolution. I love the MPG. There's so many errors to prints I love, mm-hmm. but I want to know. And as a complete, I want to know things. I enjoyed my taste book. I enjoyed Steve Park's book. I enjoyed Afshim's book. I I, I want to know this stuff. And so. That to me, if I have a small part in extending his legacy, I'm I'm elated. I'm I'm absolutely over the moon about that. So so yeah. thank you for giving me the option to talk to you and and for inviting me on your show. Yeah, we got to have you on future dates. I'm sure you're going to have a lot of projects coming up, and we're going to go out with uh, some of the music you detailed uh, from Purple Rain right here on WVF, the Up Room with Dwayne. Uh, I was going to say Dwayne Tudall. Yes, it is too. <laughs> Joe Kelly and Dwayne Tudall here. Thanks so much, Dwayne.